and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic episode 66. I'm Nick Dixon here with fearless human rights activist Toby Young. Coming up, the government get tough on immigration, lol. White people ruin a BBC employee's mental health, aw. And Elon Musk tells woke advertisers where to go, plus loads more. And of course, peak woke. But Toby, we should quickly mention that we have the Weekly Skeptic live, and it's happening in less than a week, December 11th at the Hippodrome in Lola's, which is a room at the Hippodrome. Me and Toby bashing out a Weekly Skeptic Live, me doing a bit of stand-up apparently at the start, yet to be written, but it'll be amazing. And you can also have dinner with me and Toby after if you pay a little more. And tickets are selling out. We've got, what, 20-something left, Toby? Yeah, I think we've got um, 25 tickets left at the £25 price um, and uh, about the same number left for the dinner. Um, so, uh, But it's selling fast. Um, I think uh, we're up to, I think, 70% of total tickets sold now, um, 83% of the £25 tickets. So if you want to come see it, and particularly if you want a £25 ticket, uh, go to eventbrite.co.uk. Uh, uh, and uh, purchase a ticket. If you Google Eventbrite and mine or Nick's name, you'll find it pretty pretty quickly. It's also on my Twitter account, at Toadmeister, and on yours, Nick, I hope. You haven't been tweeting enough about it, but you will from now on. Yeah, it's true. I just don't have the reach you have, Toby, sadly. So you've been doing it for me. It's funny how um, we're so different. I say about 20 tickets left. You say 73%. Always very precise. That's why we, why we have Toby. <laughs> and what, what time does it start? Uh, it starts at, well, doors open at 6.30, as you said, it's in Lola's, which is a downstairs bar at the Hippodrome. And I think the easiest way to get there is just go to the main entrance at the Hippodrome. Say you're coming to see the show and um, your name might be checked off against a list and then you'll be shown to the downstairs room. Doors open at 6.30, show goes up at 7 and it'll go down at 9. So it's a two-hour show. I mean, it's incredible value when you think about it, Nick. It's a two-hour show in the heart of the West End with one of the funniest guys around and his sidekick for a mere £25. It's it's really, it's you don't get better bargains than that in the West End. Uh, who's the sidekick? <laughs> I, no, I think you were being self-deprecating. I couldn't tell or you were being arrogant. I couldn't see. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we've only, it's only our second one ever. And the last one was a, a hoot and a riot and a, and, a, and a great success. So we don't do them very often. So Weekly Skeptic Live next Monday, December 11th. All right, and I'm, I'm a bit worried, but I'll, I'll lock into planning mode soon and I'll make sure it's an amazing event like I did last time and have sleepless nights and my high conscientiousness will kick in and make sure it's amazing. Good. And on the subject of high conscientiousness, um, I hope we're going to see um, a, a glimpse of Jordan Peterson at the show. Well, I don't know, Toby. We're in constant contact, but he is very busy these days. What with Ark and, you know, taking over the world with his... I was talking to Ed Dutton about it, his weird um, mesmeric stare. He's sort of taking over the world, isn't he, with a, by sort of mesmerizing... Apparently he mesmerizes people. Did he do that to you? When you meet him, he, like, locks you with a mesmeric stare and sort of looks into your soul. I did get a bit of the... A bit of that kind of... Uh, I think what... What was it? Um, Alan Clark uh, described um, the feeling he got when... Um, Ever he was in the presence of Margaret Thatcher as the Führer contact. It's actually a German word to describe the uh, effect of Hitler's charisma. Um, So he used it about Margaret Thatcher very provocatively. Uh, But yeah, you definitely get uh, a bit of Führer contact when uh, when you meet uh, Jordan in person. I like to think I could resist it with Peterson. I think with Thatcher I might have struggled, but Peterson, yeah, I think... I don't know. I'd like to see. I didn't actually bother meeting him myself when I did that gig with him, so I don't know. But I've I've heard a lot about it. Let's see if he comes. But it's going to be a great event either way. So I think we've sold that sufficiently. Hardly any tickets left, so get them now. 
if you're listening to this, just go on eventbrite.com or eventbrite.co.uk and just get them immediately. That's what I recommend because there's only like 20 something or whatever percentage Toby said. Yeah, we're 83% of the £25 tickets sold. Exactly. So um, shortly to be sold out on that score. Yeah. And uh, hopefully the sound is good, guys. Hopefully we'll have fewer complaints. Maybe we won't because I've moved house. That's the other big news. And it's not really a national news story, but we may as well just briefly mention it. I am very tired because I've been, I was doing so much packing. And since I moved, I haven't really slept because I'm trying to adjust to the new place. So I'm flagging that. My sound might be different. Hopefully it's better because I've got a carpet now. Imagine that. And it's been amazing. I've got a great view. I've got a raindrop shower head with like a walk-in shower. It's a different world, Toby. My life has changed massively. I'm a different person. Whole new level. Sounds good. Sounds good. I like that. I like the yeah. You're talking about your you were, you were eulogising about your new shower earlier. It sounds a lot better than mine. Uh, and I did ask you whether you had any attractive new neighbours, and that prompted an interesting debate between us because you said you do indeed have an attractive neighbour who has green hair. And then we debated whether if a, if a woman has green hair, that means she's necessarily left wing, or is it possible? For green-haired women not to be left-wing, uh, because I imagine if she is left-wing, that that, that, would, that would make her undateable in your eyes. That's it. I met. Her, I was coming back in the house. She was leaving. She opened the door for me. Said hi. She sort of let me walk through, but I held frame. It's called holding frame, and I just suggested for her to go through instead. She tried to door cuck me, as someone described it. And uh, <laughs> but I will not be door cucked. I'm like, no, I'm the man. You go first. And it, it was a great manly display. So I won the interaction, and uh, next time I'll actually speak to her. And um, she had, yeah, she had green hair, but she looked just like Ashley St. Clair, the conservative American commentator, to the point where my brain for a second thought it was her, even though it's basically impossible. And it made me think, yeah, the green hair, is that like a cyberpunk thing that's coming back? You know, like 90s fashions are coming back. Or is she just like Eastern European? You know how they have like different trends that we don't understand or something? So possibly just foreign, Toby, but could be a leftist. There is that chance, but a bit too attractive to be one. Yes, I think think (laughs) all woke women under 30 um definitely have weird colored hair but not every woman with weird colored hair under 30 is woke that's interesting yeah so she yeah exactly so all the woke ones have it but she might not be it she might be one of that other second category has it for another yes. reason some yes. sort of other personal problem <laughs> she could have it. it's not political <laughs> yeah interesting maybe she's just so hot she's like i know i'll make it hard i mean i'll put off men by having green hair because too many of them approach me that could be a thing. Yeah, or maybe she she had heard you were moving into the building. She listens to the show. She realizes that um, if you think she's left wing, you'll leave her alone. So she deliberately got her hair dyed, <laughs> knowing you were about to move in. Yeah, it's a, pre- a protection against predatory conservative men. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm famously not that. But um, all right, well that was that's that bit covered. Uh, that's probably would normally put that kind of thing at the end. We put it there, and now we're getting into the serious news. It's not that serious because it's the Tories' immigration plan. So, you know, it's also banter, really. But this is James Cleverly has a five-point plan. They love a five-point plan, never four, never six. And uh, it's, to, it's to tackle net migration. They're going to get it down by 300,000. But bearing in mind it reached 745,000 in the year to last December. That's still pretty high. And they've done a few things. They're going to stop this visa scam or try to where foreign care workers can just bring in endless family members and you just get some, there's also that degree scam, isn't there, where you just do some dodgy degree and you get a million visas. I'm paraphrasing. And then there's this minimum salary they're bringing in for a foreign skilled worker to come to Britain. They'll, that'll increase from 26200 a year to 38700 from next spring in line with the median wage. Although when you realize that actually 26200 
accounting for inflation, that figure in 2019 would now be 34,326 I've got. So, you know, in line with inflation, that's actually not a massive change. Uh, and, you know, okay, at least they're trying to tackle it. They're doing something, but it, it's not actually going to do anything, is it, Toby? And they're the ones that caused all this. It's too little too late, isn't it? Well, I think they've more or less given up on doing anything about illegal migration. I mean, you know, supposedly Rishi Sunak is going to introduce this emergency legislation, which enables the British government to get around the Supreme Court, um, uh, which uh, I, maybe they'll do it. I think they probably will, but it probably won't work. Um, uh, so it doesn't look like they're going to be able to do much about the small boats. So they're, they're now focusing on what they can do to reduce legal migration um and as you say um uh, one of the um one of the one of the reasons migration is so high is because a lot of people who obtain visas also obtain visas for their dependents particularly students um and um and it's a huge scam um and uh, and i suppose um it's supposedly this uh, uh, cr- creating this threshold making it harder for people to bring their dependents in will bring migration down a little bit. It suggests to me if they are going to do this, if Cleverly is going to action this five-point plan, um, that they are going to wait until at least this time next year before holding a general election because they'll want to be able to point to reduced immigration because they know that that's going to be a big issue and a big reason why people are uh, are deserting the Tory party. And there was a new poll this week showing that actually um, amongst people who voted Conservative in 2019, fewer are intending to vote Conservative now than they were even under Liz Truss. So of course, someone's already put up a picture of a cabbage. Is it a cabbage or a, and Rishi Sunak? Um, a lettuce. It was a lettuce right. originally. Yeah. Who's going to expire first? And uh, so, so Rishi's now on lettuce watch, which is uh, a pretty bad sign. Shocking. Yeah, none of it will help them. It's all academic. So the only other thing I was going to say is just why has it been so high? I mean, it's. I mean, Callum had an interesting stat on the Lotus Eaters podcast. He's saying that Indians just need a Bachelor of Arts degree and £2,500 and then they can come in for two years and they can renew that every two years. So not that we particularly have it in for Indian people, that was just one example. There's just been these huge numbers coming in. You know, you talk about the Ukrainians and you go, okay, fair enough. But why does, does anyone know why the Tories have just massively increased immigration from so many countries that don't actually need to come in? Does anyone actually know why? Do you have any inside insight? Is it just the civil service doing what they want? I think it's um, partly because um, they don't want to force uh, employers to have to pay more for unskilled labour, um, uh, which they would if they reduced um, uh, immigration. Um, uh, so it's partly just not wanting to kind of um, uh, face that problem. Uh, it's also, you know, they're worried about um, the financial um, fragility of the higher education sector. Um, so. Um, you know, um, uh, without without this without the income from Indian students um, coming here to study at our universities, many of the many of our universities will go bankrupt. Some of them are teetering on the edge of bankruptcy as it is. Uh, goldsmiths, for instance, teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. If you make it harder for foreign students to bring in their dependents, in all likelihood, um, goldsmith and others will go bankrupt. 
so that that's another reason. Um, it's also a way of um, you know keeping up, uh, uh, avoiding recession. I mean, we're constantly teetering on the brink of recession, and the only way seemingly we can avoid going into recession is by increasing our GDP, by increasing the number of people in the workforce, by importing them, um, and, and that's particularly important because more and more people are leaving the workforce. Um, claiming disability benefit um you know it, it's because we it's because we have a you know a failing country which is unwilling to work but it has been proved that actually immigration doesn't make us more prosperous or it's been certainly suggested by, by many people including douglas murray which i've quoted before in the short term it might make an artificial bump to gdp is that what you're saying no well you know it can do both so it um if you import a million people and 40% of them join the workforce, uh, then you're going to increase net GDP, but you're likely going to reduce GDP per capita. Um, and both of those things are obviously related and can happen at the same time. And that, that is, in fact, what's happened um, over the past few years. GDP has increased, but GDP per capita has declined. Okay. Well, with that in mind, let's get on to the Starmer story, because he also mentioned immigration, not very convincingly to me. The He did a piece in The Telegraph, and I know the columnist doesn't write the headline, though you imagine with Starmer, he would have had sort of final say on it. And it was voters have been betrayed on Brexit and immigration. I stand ready to deliver. I don't know whether he had say on that or not, but he mentioned immigration even in the headline and in the piece. He spoke about it. He said, I profoundly disagree with the idea Labour should not be talking about immigration or small boats crossings. And he said, if you believe Britain needs stability, order, security, then Labour is the party for you, lol. But people seem to be falling for this. But the big thing that got the headlines was his comments about Thatcher. He said, Margaret Thatcher sought to drag Britain out of its stupor by setting loose on natural entrepreneurialism. Then he also said, which people focus on less, Tony Blair reimagined the stale, outdated Labour Party into one that could seize the optimism of the late 90s. So he was praising various leaders and Attlee was the other one he praised. And I did wonder if Blair was behind this, especially when he then praised Blair. But even before that, I was thinking, this kind of Blairite type thing, you know, you sort of have this idea Blair is telling Starmer what to say. And it's sort of a Blair-style tactic to sort of praise Thatcher. Uh, someone called it Mandelsonian. Yeah, that's another way of looking at it. What do you think yeah. he was up to? I mean, is he well, making a calculation? Was, oh, go on. Yeah, but it really reminded me of David Cameron um, when he, just before the um, 2010 general election, shortly after he'd been elected leader, describing himself at a Telegraph lunch, I think, as the heir to Blair. Yeah. Um, and it's a way, I suppose, of trying to make yourself more politically palatable to swing voters who may have voted the other way in the previous election. And uh, But just as that came back to bite David Cameron in the bum, whenever he did something like, you know, talked about hugging hoodies, uh, uh, he, 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 this remark would be brought up. And this was sort of evidence that he was, you know, wet and not a proper Tory. So I imagine whenever Keir Starmer does anything kind of even vaguely conservative in the future this will be brought up by his critics as kind of damning evidence that he is in fact a closet conservative well i heard someone say maybe it was liam halligan that he wants the left of the party to attack him to sort of prove that he's not a sort of radical lefty and this is why he does things like this i mean that's quite 4d chess i also thought is he just trying to capture a, a sort of riven tory party i mean you've got the natcons and the lib dems is he trying to capture the lib dem more thatcher liberal side of the tory party vote but then is he abandoning the red wall by doing that? Because they're not going to like these comments. And Rosie Duffield confirmed on GB News that her constituents wouldn't like it. And Or is he just trying to invoke economic prosperity at a time when the country is knackered and going, oh, I'm, I'm going to be like Thatcher and as a kind of feel-good factor? Yeah. 
I think the Labour body's Achilles heel um, has always been this idea that it's going to increase public expenditure and raise taxes um, and potentially bankrupt the country. Um, And uh, I think he's trying to reassure people that he's not going to do that. He also said, I'm not going to turn on the spending taps. Um, And uh, uh, so I think it's trying to um, uh, reassure people that they don't need to worry that a Labour government led by him is going to, you know, start spending taxpayers' money and raise taxes accordingly. He's reassuring people that he won't do that, but it'll somehow also be Thatcher. So we'll have all this prosperity, but we'll have no spending. But will, will he really lower tax? Are Labour really going to do that? I mean, isn't he just going to, isn't it, everything just going to be bad? I mean, spending, he, he's warning people because we have no money that spending is not going to go up. But I don't really believe Labour will lower taxes either. I don't really believe they'll do anything good. I mean, isn't he just saying everything to everyone? Just, you know, because he's just trying to get elected. At the, I mean, it's the Ming Vars thing again that Peter Hitchens spoke about. All he needs to do is not drop the Ming Vars. But I think he's doing a good job of trying to drop it. I mean, or is he just so cocky yeah. now? He can just say, I can just say I like Thatcher. They'll still vote for me. I think um, I think he's just, I think he's trying to do, he's just trying to maximise, you know, um, his advantage over over the Conservatives, uh, with a view to, you know, winning the largest possible majority he can. Um, I'm not sure he won't drop the, the Ming Vars. I mean, someone, I think I've said this before on this podcast, but someone who used to work for him um, says that um, he'll be exposed by a general election campaign. Anyone who knows him, according to this person, knows that he's actually a, a second rater. Um, uh, not very, not not a very quick thinker, not a very deep thinker, not particularly quick on his feet. That's not exactly inside out. knowledge, is it? Well, I mean, <laughs> he said he said that it's not exactly inside knowledge, but the public, I don't think, is aware of just how incompetent he is. And he says that will be exposed during a general election campaign. I mean, politicians often make mistakes during general election campaigns. I mean, look at Theresa May in twenty seventeen, you know, and uh, introducing the dementia tax, which was a terrible catastrophic error which probably cost to her majority um so it's perfectly conceivable i think that you know a lot could happen during a general election campaign it's certainly for keir starmer to lose it but i think he's perfectly capable of doing that yeah i mean and people blame nick timothy for that didn't they and there was the neil kinnick slipping on the beach yeah a lot of things can happen so i suppose yeah the the, the idea of starmer is he's he's a safe pair of hands and sensible but actually you're saying he's actually just boring probably and just a bit thick and and this will be exposed. Like he, he seems competent, but is is that just that he's boring? That might be what's going on. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think maybe people will discover that uh, he's not merely boring. He's also a bit stupid and <laughs> um, a bit incompetent during the general election campaign. I don't think they mind boring. I don't think that's the risk. Um, no, he'll want to try and come across as boring, but he may he may not succeed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, his boring has been a smokescreen that you imagine it goes hand in hand with competence, but you can be boring and incompetent and stupid. Yes. In fact, I probably yes. describe most people in the country. <laughs> if you try to get anything done, I mean, you know, you try and call any company, you think, oh, this person's boring and incompetent and stupid. So that probably is what he is. I mean, and there's also the question of how far left he is, you know, and obviously people like Hitchens always pointed out that Blair was far more left than people thought. And he never really renounced it. And it, similarly, has has uh, Starmer ever really renounced his Pabloitism? I mean, he's a Pabloite, which is such a weird thing. It's a subset of Trotskyism. And he used to edit that magazine, Socialist Alternatives. So he's a very kind of, he comes from that hard left background that a lot of Labour people do. And do they ever really leave it? Unless they really like Hitchens publicly renounce it or Melanie Phillips, they tend to actually mm. just still cling on to that, that sort of, they secretly love the utopianism of, the, of leftism. 
Mm. I wonder if uh, maybe now that he's sort of described himself as, you know, as sort of the heir to Margaret Thatcher, um, maybe the Tories, instead of their usual attack ads during a general election campaign, which is to try and portray this apparently safe pair of hands as, you know, a a, a socialist in disguise, um, devil eyes, etc. Maybe they'll say the NHS isn't safe with Keir Starmer. He's going to privatise the NHS just like Maggie Thatcher did. He's going to shut down. <laughs> shut the he's mines. going to destroy our manufacturing industry. Yeah, he's going yeah, to shut yeah. our remaining mines. He yeah. didn't like the Cumbria coal mine. Where's Will stand up for it? They, we could have the miner thing all over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What a world. It could happen. He doesn't seem to care that much about the Red Wall. I mean, he's probably trying to yeah get I mean, it's, it's obvious that, that the Remainer class are Labour now. So why not? Or is he trying to win the Southwest? Is that the is that is that what he's trying to win the so-called Southwest Tory seat? No, I think he's probably. I think he probably. I mean, he may be trying to win back some of those red wall seats. Um, but you would have thought that um, praising Margaret Thatcher would risk seats in Scotland, which Labour is counting on winning back from the SNP. Um, uh, but maybe not. Maybe they they must have they must have you know tested this and discovered that yeah. many you know former conservative voters who are thinking about switching to labor will be reassured by this i know they've obviously polled it and focus grouped it my layman guess would be they think that most of those kind of seats you've mentioned scotland etc are safe but the one thing they haven't Maybe. got is a, is a few of these tories who are on the fence who who, who don't who are probably going to stay at home the classic tory voter who just stays at home they're saying can you actually come out and vote starmer instead of stay at home and they might i mean i was talking to josh about on headliners last night and he's still Wants Starmer. I find it so weird that people who are against so many of the things that Starmer would would bring in, you know, kind of trans stuff. You know, he didn't know what a woman was. He knelt for Black Lives Matter, and someone like Josh on headliners is against all these things. But his red pilling is so gradual that he still wants Starmer, and he still doesn't realize he, he praised Blair. He still doesn't realize that Blair caused a lot of the culture we have now, or certainly rapidly accelerated it. You know, in terms of social leftism and things, and things like. The general wokeness, obviously, it's, it is across the West, but Blair certainly accelerated all this. And I just think people haven't tied that together yet. Even people who've woken up on things like the trans issue, mm. they haven't necessarily realized, no, labor policies will lead to more of this. You know, there was that policy that you could get two years in prison for misgendering someone, wasn't there? I mean, that was in the Daily Mail. I don't know if it's yeah. strictly yeah. true, but something like that. Yeah. Um, I, may, maybe the thinking behind um, this Thatcher comment is that um, he just he just wants to reassure conservative voters that they don't need to come out and vote. I mean, I think, as you say, one of the things that the Conservative Party is really worried about is not that people who voted Conservative in 2019 will switch, um, but that they just won't bother to turn out. They won't bother to go to the voting booths. Um, and uh, and maybe, you know, and I guess one of the reasons for those Labour attack ads during general election campaigns that the Tories run is to try and galvanise people to come out and vote Tory rather than just stay at home. You know, you have to get out and vote to save us from this danger, to avert this danger. Um, so maybe he's trying to reassure people that he's not dangerous so they can just sit on their hands and stay at home come election day. Yeah, and the one thing that gets them out is a mention of Margaret Thatcher, the Fuhrer effect or whatever you said it was. They're like, oh, they've mentioned the Fuhrer. No, that, that's right, but th- th- that'll get them to stay at home. If they think he's a safe pair of hands, then they don't need to come out and vote against him. Right. Okay, well, that's that story pretty much dealt with. Um, let's move on and do... This next story from the BBC, it's a classic BBC stuff. It's Nihal Arthanayake, and I'm trying to pronounce that. I, I, I watched five different videos to see people, uh, Nick doesn't do any preparation. I watched five different videos to see how it was pronounced, and they all had a different pronunciation, so we have no idea. But um, he has, he's of Sri Lankan origin. 
And he was doing a journalism diversity conference in Salford. And obviously there shouldn't be such a thing already. So it's a bad start. And he said, it's really affected me that I walk in and all I see is white people. It's kind of like the kid in the sixth sense. I've seen a lot of people leave this building because they couldn't deal with the culture. Imagine that. I don't think there's a single Muslim involved in the senior editorial processes at BBC Radio 5 Live. He went on, the hardest thing is to walk into a room, look around, and nobody looks like you. I mean, we've been told where everyone's a massive racist who, who even thinks like that, right? In the country, if you said things like, oh, I just prefer to live amongst people who look like me, you'd be like, right, well, you're a massive racist. You must be cancelled and you're evil. But you can say it about white people, just openly. You can just say, I don't start to be around. They just, the way they look makes me, it affects my mental health. It makes me feel, uh, it makes, where did he say the mental health bit? That is what he said, it's really affecting me. And there was a quote about it, it affects his mental health. I mean, pretty unbelievable stuff, Toby. And I did put out a tweet and someone has written a review about how the podcast shouldn't just be me reading my own tweets and looking for tweets. So of course I'm going to double down and look for more tweets, read more of my own tweets because it's a free podcast and you can't really complain about what I do and, um, you know, start your own podcast. And if you're paying, if you're paying for the live show, you can come complain to me. But anyway, I said he has to be fired for his clear racism, as would certainly happen if he said this about any other race. If not, the BBC needs to make a statement explaining why they believe white people don't matter and can be openly discriminated against, just so we all know where they stand. Am I right? Well, you're right, but I think it's very unlikely to happen. Certainly the people in the audience, and I imagine most people who work at the BBC, will understand this to mean that the BBC itself is a racist institution, that it's uh, hidebound by systemic racism and that's why there aren't more black and brown people working in senior positions in Salford um, and they'll need to do something about that. Um, in fact if you look at the um, composition of the BBC's workforce I think something like between 15 and 20 percent are from black Asian or minority ethnic backgrounds um, which is um, higher than um, if it's 20 percent then it's higher than their percentage of the population at large so in fact they're overrepresented black and brown people in the BBC not underrepresented it, it was an extraordinary thing to say and I it's been it's been heartening that there has been a bit of a backlash against this that we haven't yet become such a woke country that uh, this kind of thing can be said and go completely unnoticed um, but it, it was it was shocking uh, and when he tech talks about you know colleagues having left um, uh, because because there are so many white people employed in the Salford office. I mean, he's not meaning to say that his colleagues are racists and can't cope with so many white faces, but that is effectively what he's saying, isn't it? That is what he's saying. And, you know, he could be, I mean, some people have said there are some, um, well, I don't want to get into the hot water here because I don't really understand the science of it, but there is science saying we're less comfortable with strangers of, uh, who do, do look different to us. There's like science on, you know, there's a science on that. So he could be invoking science, but he's certainly, if anyone else said it, it's an instant sacking. And yeah, the stat I heard was it's 58% non-white at the BBC, which is much higher. No, what was it? 58% oh, I, I thought it's 58% white. white no, that's sorry, right. I meant yeah, white, yeah, which is much again. higher yeah. than obviously the normal population. So, you know, much lower. It's annoying, isn't it? Getting these things right. 58% white at the BBC and obviously far more white people in the country at large. So there you go. So, yeah. So it's there. people of colour already overrepresented, but but it's not enough for Nihal, who wants white people completely taken away from the whole company. I mean, I don't know what he wants. I don't know. What, what, would, what would the number be that he's happy with? How many white people can you walk into a room and be happy with? Do you know what I mean? He's like, oh, there's six. Mm, yeah, that, I could that, live with that, four. 58, that... <laughs> 
I'm trying to see the provenance of this 58% figure. That is the first figure that comes up if you search it on Google. But then further down the search results, it says um, what I just said, which is um, the number of BAME people working at the BBC is around it's around 16% or was in 2021. Uh, so I don't see how it can be only 58% white and 16% BAME. I mean, well, there's some purple people working there that we haven't heard about. Uh, it's a bit weird. doesn't add up. Yeah, I need to check that 58%. But famously, Nick does no preparation for the show. It has been a bit harder this, <laughs> this week because I've been moving and still having to go back and work at I mean, my day job at GB. But yeah, we need to, someone can tell us that 58% figure. But there was also quite a funny thing that happened. I wrote my brilliant tweet, and people love it when I quote the number of uh, likes my tweet got. It got 5.6 thousand, guys. I hate that I, f- I finally updated Twitter to try and... I was trying to get rid of the documents and data to... Sh- sh- free up some storage on my iPhone. And this is great content, my iPhone storage issues. But it meant that I finally got the new update and got the X instead of Twitter. I've been clinging on to the old Twitter app and logo. But the other thing it does, Toby, it puts 5.6 when you want to see the full number because it looks much bigger, doesn't it? I don't really want to see 5.6. Anyway, someone replied to my so, tweet. Um, yeah, I clicked on the 58% figure and it comes from a website called uh, Zipia. And I think it, it's talking about the BBC, but I don't think it's the BBC because it says, amongst other things, 16% of BBC employees are Hispanic or Latino and 11% are black or African-American. It says the average employee makes $40,491 per year. And it says BBC employees are most likely to be members of the Democratic Party. So either it's just talking about BBC employees in the US or BBC here stands for something other than the British Broadcasting Company. Oh, so it's, I think my figure's correct and the 58% figure's clearly wrong. It stands for various things if you go through the internet. But yeah, um, I think uh, that's... Yeah, well, we need to check these things in advance, but we're doing live fact-checking on the show, guys. <laughs> but the funny thing for me is this uh, woman, Narinda Kerr, replied. She quote-tweeted me, and she said, she quoted me, he has to be fired for his clear racism. White brackets and thick privilege strikes again. <laughs> so she's calling me white privilege and thick, Toby. What I found this so really... I couldn't actually get annoyed about it because it was so comical because this Narinda is known as one of the thickest people on the internet. She's notoriously would- stupid and obnoxious. She's this woman who has been on GB News calling people coconuts and saying that that's a valid term and things like that. Oh, yeah. She's always got an obnoxious take on everything, an extremely low IQ take. And if you come at, if you're going to come at Nick Dixon and you're Narinda, maybe don't go with intelligence <laughs> as, as your leading. Answer. There's so many things you could go with. I mean, by excessive charisma, you could say I'm too right wing. Whatever you want to say, but like thick. Really, you've gone with thick. There's not a soul on this earth. There's not a soul who live living or dead has ever lived that would believe Narinda. Kerr is smarter than me. It's such an absurd thing. But I didn't say anything because I I've, I have this code, which comes from GB. You're not supposed to criticize GB news people. And it's taken Herculean restraint on my part in many occasions to just not have a pop at GB news people because it's bad form. But lots of people don't seem to care about that. And they just do it willy nilly. So I was thinking, mm. oh, I can't say anything to this person, but she doesn't care. But it looks like she's not actually appearing on GB news anymore. I found out probably. So I could actually have said something back. But I didn't. I just couldn't be bothered. I'm at that stage where I'm genuinely, you know, they say the lion doesn't concern himself with the opinion of lambs or whatever. I'm genuinely, <laughs> or is it fleas? That both apply. I'm genuinely at that point where I was too busy to reply and I just couldn't be asked. I was like, what, what does this matter what this idiot thinks? And she was ratioed into oblivion anyway. But since we're here on the podcast talking about it, I will address a couple of things. One, I'm, the thick thing is ridiculous. But two, the white privilege thing, she's just doubling down using this racist term, white privilege, does bother me a little bit because when I think of the Dickensian poverty of my 
family. I was talking to my brother about it the other day, how when I moved, I just threw out a lamp from my A-levels. I'd had this lamp. It's not even a good-looking lamp, but it's a functional lamp, and I've had it since A-level. Okay, this is a lamp. This is a lamp that's lasted decades. I'm not that old, but it, it's done some time. It might even be GCSEs. And I, only, and I threw it out, and it caused me pain even th- throwing it out now. And it's basically a point about absurd frugality because it comes from my dad who grew up poor, no toilet. His parents wanted him to work in a factory. And then it goes back to my grandparents who, you know, my granddad joined the army at 16, drove a van after that. If he hit something on the road, they'd eat, they'd eat it that night. My grandma dropped out of school. She had to look after her sister who was ill. She had four siblings. Dickensian poverty would be on the dole. Then they'd be on the parish, which was a church dole when the normal dole ran out. Rural people in Lincolnshire, no money. My mum's family from the cotton mills in Lancashire. And let's remember, they were not completely poor, but let's remember in the cotton mills, if the average life expectancy of an industrial, of a cotton mill worker, worker, sorry, was lower than a slave living at that time. Anyway, I come from just generations of poverty. So I do resent when people say white privilege because it's just like, F off, we didn't have that. Any comment on that rant, Toby? When I've when I've made a similar point uh, when discussing the concept of white go, privilege it's structural. with my wife, she says that I've misunderstood what the yeah. term privilege refers to in the term white privilege. It is not a claim that all white people are privileged in that they enjoy various positive benefits. Rather, they're privileged in that they don't have to endure some of the negative consequences of being non-white, which non-white people do. So you can be poor and white and still be privileged in the sense that you're not being discriminated against uh, because you're not white. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the idea is that in addition to all the problems that beset um, poor white people, poor black people also have to put up with racism and poor white people don't. And in that sense, they're privileged. They're not privileged in the sense of being rich or being able to walk into high paying jobs or secure places at good universities. No, they're privileged simply because they don't suffer any of the disadvantages of not being white. Yeah. And that, and I know that's what they would say. And my point there is, yes, they would always go, no, it's not what it means. And that's why you get the absurdity of that Munro Bergdorf person saying, no, no, a homeless white person is still privileged and all this insanity. Yeah. And it's designed to infuriate you because you cite the fact that you haven't been privileged because you've grown up in a country where everyone was white. And if you were in Lincolnshire and then you were poor, everyone was white and you were just poor. So it made no difference. But yes, that's what they think it is. But that's stupid and annoying and false anyway. But let's let's accept their premise. Even accepting their premise, it, it's completely false anyway, because we see constantly now you're discriminated against for being white. So you specifically are. It's not even true on their own terms because you specifically you suffer all kinds of consequences from being specifically white that other races won't have, e.g. being rejected from the police, like the guy that had to sue the Cheshire police or be harder to get into universities and things like that. Harder to get places, as we've seen. Or being told by a BBC employee you're affecting their mental health. There's so many things where, you know, it will affect you uniquely now because you're white. Because they're all so out of date, those people. They're talking about a world where, you know, which has not been overcorrected by wokeness. They're talking about the old world. Now you do face all kinds of unique uh, disadvantages from being white and unique advantages from not being white. Do you ever think that actually we're being played by the woke? And um, when they when they talk about white privilege, um, uh, particularly in the United States, what they're trying to do is enrage white people so they'll vote for their political 
opponents. So they'll vote for Trump because actually they want Trump to win the presidential election because, you know, the woke movement is dying. It's running out of steam. It's peaked. And the only way to revive it, to bring it back to life is to apply the deep defibrillator effect of a Trump presidential election victory, just as that uh, brought the woke movement to life um, in um, you know 2016. So it's the only thing now that can revive it. Um, and so they, they're deliberately winding us up with talk of white privilege in the hope of enraging us enough to go out and vote for their political opponents because most of these people, you know, they they work as diversity, equity and inclusion officers uh, and the rest of it. Um, uh, they work for charities, NGOs. The only possible way they can um, keep their money, earn a living, is, is, is if the woke movement is somehow brought back to life. I've definitely had thoughts like that, all kinds of 4D chess type of thoughts like I was asking why would they want to create something like white racial identity by constantly saying white people are a a specific group and b evil so obviously you're going to create a, a, a white identity backlash but then I tend to go they're actually probably just thick and they've just bought into the ideology you know these academics at university buying into this leftist ideology then you get useful idiots following it I'm not quite convinced there's a plan. I mean, you've actually gone more Team James there and I'm going more Toby. I'm actually saying it's just incompetence <laughs> yeah. and stupidity. Yeah, no, I expect I expect that's right. Uh, I think it's... Uh, but it just seems... I mean, it just seems just absolutely guaranteed to have the opposite of its intended effect. I mean, if making that remark is supposed to, you know, make people think, crikey, Perhaps there are too many white people working for the BBC in Salford and we need to do something about that. It's clearly not going to do that. And you kind of think, well, is he so stupid that he thinks it will achieve that objective? If he says my colleagues have left because they're basically anti-white racists, um, does he really? I mean, he must know that that's not going to actually persuade, you know, the, the licensed people fee payers, that the BBC should become even more diverse. Um, uh, so is, he, is, is, is something else going on there? Is he, is, is, he, is he not playing 4D chess? But maybe he's thinking, you know, actually winding people up, trolling them in this way does serve a kind of larger political objective, which is to keep the Tories in power, which is good for me and uh, no, uh, in no. a way that a Labour government wouldn't be. It's better no, for these you know, activists to be in opposition than to be aligned with the government. Now, he's playing 1D chess, Toby. This is what's happened. He's at a, he's at a journalism diversity conference in the, you know, Salford, which is where the BBC is in, in, in the north, isn't it? So he's, he's at his sort of home turf, right? He's, he's, a, he's at a journalism and diversity course where they're all just, you know, just rubbing each other off, basically. This, this is, imagine the kind of room he's in. And he's used to a position where you don't have to really worry about what you say. You can just say anything about white people. You can say anything like that. It's not like us where we have to constantly worry about getting cancelled because they're on the anointed side. So he's amongst friends in this room and he's just gone, oh, yeah, I always think, oh, there's too many white people in the room because he's at a journalism diversity conference at the BBC, you know, or, in, you know, probably BBC people there, etc. So it's he's just on he's, he's just complacently on home turf, playing to the gallery, playing the room, as we say in comedy, not really thinking about the wide implications because he doesn't really have to because he's a, a BBC guy who can do what he wants. That's my take on it. It's, he's not put any real thought into it. He's just there mouthing off. Kind of like we do on this podcast, but we do it with knowing knowing there's massive risk. He's just doing it complacently, knowing you know he's in safe amongst friends. Yeah, in a, I expect you're right. I expect I'm right. And by the way, Narinda's tweet got ratioed into oblivion against me anyway. So my people did the work for me. I don't even need to do anything. 
And um, off the back of this story, we can add a little extra story that Sunak was talking about deeper cuts loom at BBC as Sunak prepares to block license fee increase. This was the Telegraph, the proposed jump of almost £15 to £173.30 in April. They're pushing back against that, saying no. And the the only good thing I found about this whole story is that the BBC um, announced plans to broadcast a 1,000 fewer hours of new TV shows this year. So that's a 1,000 fewer hours of propaganda and, and bollocks from the BBC. But what do you think about this, Toby? Is this just classic kind of easy win for Sunak to have a pop at the old lefty woke beeb. Yeah, I think um, it, it's a gift to Sunak to say, I'm not going to let the BBC put up the licence fee by £15. And it, it's probably, I guess, it, it's probably also softening us up for a £10 increase, you know, um, uh, uh, which which he'll claim is a great victory. Um, but, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I saw that uh, Newsnight is facing cuts. Did you see that? That um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the length of time the, the length of each program is going to be reduced and there are going to be uh, fewer interviews. Um, and it, and it's, this has caused uproar. How, how could the BBC possibly do this to its flagship current affairs program? But actually, if you look at the ratings for Newsnight, they've actually declined so dramatically in the last few years alone that actually proportionally it's probably getting more than its uh, fair share of the license, license fee pairs money. Well, I hear, do you know, I've heard why that's happened, Toby. It's another program at 11 p.m. has gone up against them discussing the newspapers and just gets oh, right. just far better ratings. So it's just it's just destroyed them, apparently. So um, apparently it's headliners on GB News. That's what I've heard. But yeah, I do actually know someone on Newsnight, so I feel bad about that. It's You know, I don't gloat about it. I want the BBC to be great. I want them to be impartial. I want them to have great shows. I want them to be more like they were when I grew up. Maybe they were still not perfect, but they were a lot better. I don't want them to be blatantly anti-Israel. I don't want them to be completely pro-woke in their arts programming. You know, I just don't want them to keep getting these things wrong. And we're in a deeply polarized culture where it is an incredible challenge to be impartial, but you've at least got to have a better crack at it, which they've completely failed at. And we're just money. And BBC Verify, everyone thinks is a joke. Just stop being so crap, BBC, but they couldn't do it. Yeah, I I think this is this the point to bring up the most recent episode of Doctor Who. I think we we did discuss beforehand doing that um, as part of Peak Woke, but I think we can probably bring it up here. Interestingly, uh, the headline on the story um, uh, in the Evening Standard was Peak Woke for Doctor Who. And um, in the episode in question, um, uh, not only is Sir Isaac Newton played by an actor of Indian heritage, so, so um, uh, but in addition, the new Doctor, as played by... David Tennant um, is gay and um, fancies the Indian version of Isaac Newton. Um, so it's like a double whammy. <laughs> the gay doctor fancies this icon of English intellectual scientific history who we turned into a black person. It's like, how could they get any more woke than that? I suppose they could have put Sir Isaac, the black Sir Isaac Newton in a wheelchair, but really pretty extraordinary. It's peak, peak woke. It's 5D woke chess. Yeah, and you've you've been much like a time lord there, Toby, putting that bit in way before peak <laughs> woke. But yeah, I know that, that was I, shocking. I, I, I was thinking, you know, could, could we think of the people inventing things like, you know, the black Isaac Newton, uh, the fact that it went in horrible histories that uh, apparently the, the first Britons were black when they make historical dramas, the number of black people in the cast is 
extraordinarily large. We learned recently that um, black women were disproportionately likely to die from bubonic plague. plague. Um, uh, It's like you can imagine a sort of woke wonderland, a woke version of winter wonderland, which is like a kind of woke Britain in which all the icons of British history have a black Shakespeare um, and, you know, a black Brunel. Um, and you know, um, you turn um, uh, you know um, uh, 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 Darwin into a woman or a trans person. Um, uh, you, you could imagine that sort of uh, you know woke Wonderland. I mean, it, it could Good be idea. a big hit. Woke Wonderland or Wokerland, yeah. And you just go there, yeah. And all the just what about all the roller coasters? Are they sort of all sort of ultra safe and uh, everyone's like allowed on them and. There's no height requirement. They don't go above 20 miles per hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they've got safety <laughs> bars on. Stay safe. And they, people pop out. Characters jump out and say, stay safe. And you you, you look great. And uh, they're like body positive. Nothing's scary. Yeah. And you, and you, you have in the... In the um, no white people on the staff in case anyone gets triggered. That's right. And in the haunted house, you don't have anyone dressed as ghouls. They're just dressed as um, viruses. They're like in little virus costumes. To really terrify the children. Or maybe there is a ghost train, but it's stuff like Nigel Farage pops out and gives you the figures <laughs> on immigration. Like, you know what I mean? All yeah. the most hated people from the world. <laughs> Toby Young pops out and makes a point about vaccine statistics. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and and you appear at one point, and then Narinda appears as uh, as a good witch to sweep away the little Oompa Loompa Nick. <laughs> a day, I see myself more as as a Willy Wonka. Um, <laughs> I figured out why they do those horrible histories thing as well. You know, that thing of like, oh, there were always people of color here forever. Which someone pointed out to me was like based on skulls and stuff. Like we're going back to phrenology to prove woke. (laughs) But the reason they do that is for that reason you said that, you know how Douglas Murray made the point, if you're going to say that Palestine were there forever and it's based on that, even though it's historically inaccurate anyway, and you know, we were here first, it wasn't Jewish people. Then if you want to use that, well, we could use that argument back against you for England or, you know, much of Europe. And you'd be in trouble. So if they say, if they say, no, 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 it was always all black people here forever since the dawn of time, they've cut off that argument with just false history. Yeah. What do you think well, of that? Well, one of the criticisms I've made before of the attempt to rewrite Britain's history to include many more women and black people in in the kind of cast of historical, famous historical characters. So, you know, finding portraits of black people in the 18th century to put in, you know, the National Portrait Gallery, um, uh, trying to pretend that Roman emperors were in fact trans and the rest of it. All this attempt to kind of rewrite history, to make history seem much more diverse or to kind of conform with our sense of what diversity should look like, it kind of undermines their argument that in the past, we were this kind of systemically racist, transphobic, patriarchal, misogynistic society. I mean, we can't be that and 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 at the same time for you know all these kind of wonderful cast of diverse historical characters to have been populating our history dating back to the beginning of time i mean they can't really have it both ways can they yeah you've made that point before and i don't think they've seen that one coming because that's quite a sophisticated argument so i don't think they've seen that one coming that hang on if we were were this woke wonderland since day one what yeah what's the problem yeah so they they know they're lying though they, they know they're just making it up it's kind of disgusting but hey I mean, whatever. We just it's just it's not about hating any particular group either, is it? It's just about hating lies and falsehoods and year zero kind of approach of like, oh, our history's always been like this and Oceana's always been at war with whatever. It's all that bollocks. It's just lies of the left. We all know about it. It's, anyway, we've dealt with that pretty well. Just, just one, one, one final thing. 
it is quite 1984-ish in that they're not lies that are told in the expectation that anyone will believe them. No. Rather, um, rather they demoralize. They're, 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 yeah, they demoralize people by forcing them to repeat them, knowing their lies. I mean, it's a way of yes. demonstrating how culturally powerful they are. It's a way of humiliating their enemies, force them to say things they know to be lies. And they only achieve that if they are, in fact, lies. So when they tell them, not only do they know that they're lies, but they want you to understand that they're lies too, and then repeat them to subjugate yourself to their will. Exactly. I think we've said this before, but yes, Picard with the four lights, Jordan Peterson with the compelled buddy speech, and say (laughs) it's a woman and say it's a man. It's like, no, we know it's not. Ah, So yeah, it is madness if you give in and say that a woman is a man, unless you're doing it by accident on this podcast because you just can't get it right, (laughs) which is a totally different thing. Um, All right, well, let's go on and do a section we occasionally still do for a bit of fun. It's the X-Files. So the X-Files this week is a big one. It's Elon Musk at the Deal Book Conference asked about his approach to advertising. He said, I hope they stop, don't advertise, Musk told interviewer Andrew Ross Sorkin. If somebody is going to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself, go fuck yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. He singled out Disney CEO Bob Iger, who discussed not wanting Disney to be affiliated with Musk while on stage earlier in the day. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience, he said to him. And uh, Musk said, what this advertising boycott is going to do is it's going to kill the company. And that is what everybody on earth will know. We'll be gone, and it'll be gone because of an advertiser boycott. So it's a strange kind of approach. It's almost like, I understand this approach, but it's, will that approach work? I mean, will anyone care for more than five minutes if you lose X because of a boycott? We will all know, and we'll all be pissed off, but it won't actually do anything. So I was a bit, I was a bit surprised about that take, but maybe he's trying to rally other people to advertise, and obviously lots of conservatives have, have rallied and, and, and donated and Andrew Tate and Tim Pool and all kinds of people. But it can't match the companies who have backed out. And X could lose up to $75 million in revenue by the end of the year as 200 companies, including Airbnb, Amazon, Coca-Cola, and Microsoft have paused or are considering pulling their ads from the platform that's going to the New York Times. And since he made this announcement, Musk, go, go, well, I've already said it, but bleep yourself. Walmart have since withdrawn and... It's all crazy. And Musk pointed out one hypocrisy. It was all, of course, they were citing anti-Semitism as a reason. We all know that's nonsense, but that was the reason they cite. He said, well, look at Disney still funding TikTok and Instagram, despite their much higher incidence of anti-Semitism. So it's, it's complete nonsense. But I'm going to try and be a bit of devil's advocate here and say, should Musk be more careful with his own personal opinions? Because Musk is a genius. His processing power is unimaginable to a normal human to run all these companies Everyone says he he knows the ins and outs of everything from every aspect of the engineering of the rockets to the coding of X to how everything works on the Tesla and so on. He's an engineer. He's a coder. He's running the company. He's just an all-around genius. I don't don't think it comes across in his everyday banter where you see, okay, he's a quirky sort of funny guy, but you can't. How can you possibly see? But the, the fact that he does what he does, I think, proves. Some people say, oh, he's a fraud, but to me it proves that he must be a genius just by his out- output and what he does. But then as a person, a, a bloke with political opinions, he becomes a kind of just a normal bloke mouthing off with political opinions. This is my theory. It's kind of like Jordan Peterson, as I've said before, a genius on the Jungian yes. an- analysis of the archetypes in the Bible. But then he just says, oh, Mike Pence is good. And it's like, no, he's not, Jordan. So 
he just becomes a bloke down the pub suddenly. So should he just be more careful about his own political opinions or is that undermining the whole point of X? Well, um, yeah, I think you make a good point about, um, you know, he's he's clearly a genius in some fields, but often when he talks about politics, he does sound like your mate down the pub. Uh, and I think it's a good argument for people often say, you know, why don't we bring more businessmen into politics? They know how to run things. They know how to make money. They've got a lot of common sense. That's what politics needs. But actually, you know, politically, they might be very good at business, but politically, they're probably moronic. Most people are. Um, so why did he say this? Yeah, it's slightly, it's slightly baffling because um, telling advertisers to go fuck themselves is unlikely to persuade any of them to think, hang on, maybe you're right. Maybe I should come back to Twitter after all. Um, surely it's just going to kind of consolidate their dislike of him and of Twitter and think, well, you know, fuck you too. Um, but then isn't that, you know, if, if Twitter now, if it is, if it is heading for bankruptcy, uh, given that, you know, he bought it a couple of years ago for 44 billion and it wasn't all his money. Won't some of the, you know, people who also put up some of that money uh, sue him uh, and say, you contributed to the demise of this company. You told advertisers who provide 95% of our revenue to go fuck themselves. You contributed to the company's downfall. I'm going to sue you for the 10 billion you persuaded me to invest in Twitter two years ago. Um, so you think it, 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 it seems like a pretty dangerous game, whatever game it is he's playing. Um, uh, I guess he's sort of, uh, and it sounded almost like the demise of Twitter is inevitable. It's going to go bankrupt. You're all going to miss it when it's gone. And here are the people to blame. Not me the advertisers. Um, and it's like, uh, but, you know, why give up at this point? <laughs> Surely you should be trying to coax advertisers back, you know, provided that doesn't involve censoring yourself. Yeah. And that was my concern that he's going to become a, a martyr and, and X becomes a martyr. I mean, the X rebrand is terrible. It should still be called Twitter and X could be the parent company, but that's, that's by the by. I mean, it was such a huge loss. This was such a huge win that we got X. We got this free speech platform. And it is incredibly sinister that what companies do now is say, oh, we want to sh shut down, we want to target this guy, we want to smear him with false claims of anti-Semitism. I mean, that is incredibly sinister. Now, on one level, it's just companies doing what they do and going, oh, we, we don't want any trouble, we're a big company. But on the other hand, the, the targeting of X by, well, you've got groups like the ADL, of course, who must hate rightly. And then you've got all these big companies going along with it. And you've got these these advertising, I don't know what they're called, but they're the people sort of that, ad, that advise companies want mm. to do. I don't know what the name mm. for them is, but these big companies that advise massive sets of companies mm. like McDonald's and Co. Oh, you don't want to go here. You want to go here, like brand awareness stuff. But it is incredibly sinister, isn't it, that you, you get the most free, pro free, it's the only pro-freedom social media platform. And the response of big companies is, well, we, we'll do everything we can to shut that guy down. I mean, that's incredibly sinister. Not that corporations are known for their moral rectitude or whatever, but it, it is a bit, um, it is a bit disgusting and disturbing, isn't it? Yes. And, um, and you know, um, we know from the work done by Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger and others that um, many of the um, uh, organizations, NGOs, ratings agencies that uh, are engaged in energetically trying to demonetize alt media platforms um, are in cahoots with the federal government and, you know, um, often with the kind of deep security state um so it is very sinister as you say um and this seems to be part and parcel of what matt and michael call the censorship industrial complex yeah absolutely um 
that adds to it even more. And um, by the way, I just got worried for a second there because I said moral rectitude. And that is, of course, a tautology because rectitude already means moral righteousness. So Narinda, don't tweet at me about that. Okay, that's the kind of thing she she picks up on. Um, (laughs) All right. uh, Well, let's do another X-File then while we're here. And that is Conor McGregor is talking about running for president of Ireland. And please forgive me, Irish listeners, or just generally informed listeners, if I make any mistakes about Irish politics, I don't understand it at all. All the names are unpronounceable. I don't understand the roles because he's talking about president, I think. But then there's also Varadka, who's the taste. How, how the heck to pronounce that name? The, the, he's the kind of prime minister, but then there's the president who's someone else and they're all unpronounceable. And anyway, he's thinking about running for it, which would be very interesting. And Elon Musk replied to him and said, I think you should take them all single-handedly. I think you sh- could take them all single-handed, not even fair. He was looking at his competition and he, uh, McGregor was saying, Jerry, 78, Bertie, 75, Edna, 74, each with unbreakable ties to their individual party's politics. And he, he didn't use the possessive apostrophe there. Regardless of, he used plural instead, which is, is, which is probably wrong there. Oh, you, you want the possessive apostrophe after the S. Sorry, this is great content. Regardless of what the public <laughs> outside of their, their parties feel, these parties govern themselves versus govern the people. Or me, 35, young, active, passionate, fresh skin in the game. I listen, I support, I adapt. He's like a fighter. I have no affiliation, bias, favoritism towards any party. They would genuinely be held to account regarding the current sway of public feeling. I'd even put it all to vote. There'd be votes every week to make sure I can fund. It would not be me in power as president, people of Ireland. It would be me and you. I'm not sure about votes every week. I mean, referendums don't tend to go that well. But Musk said he could take them all single-handed. And then McGregor replied, I'd fancy my chances, Elon, 100%. I'd need to be nominated either by at least 20 members of the word I can't pronounce or at least four local authorities. Anyway, he goes on in quite some detail about the actual process. We can't we have time for that. And Musk replied again saying, thanks, Connor. That is an obscure process for sure. The people of Ireland deserve more clarity and transparency in how their leaders are chosen. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Well, I hope you're at least nominated. That would shake things up. What do you think then? Connor McGregor, the new Irish Trump yeah, well, that would be uh, very interesting if he what enters the next Irish presidential race. When is it? Do we know? Mm-mm. Let's Google it. As I said, I know nothing <laughs> about Irish politics. I don't understand it. I'm suddenly interested in it now for the first time because because uh, Connor's in there. Oh, here we go. So um, looks like this is a great more great content. I can't bloody oh a president president of Ireland is directly elected by the people for a term of seven years and can then run for re-election. And Michael Higgins was re-elected in 2018. So the next Irish presidential election is in 2025. So I guess, yeah, Conor McGregor could enter now and um, start working on his campaign. If he's not in prison for hate speech, for saying something like, we don't want our children to be stabbed. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that would probably, you know, actually play well for him in the presidential campaign. I imagine the authorities will drop that if they haven't dropped it already quite soon. Um, But uh, yeah, um, uh, maybe he could campaign on a platform of repealing um, the new Irish hate crime law, which... um, which uh, Varedka is trying to rush through on the back of all the objections to the stabbings. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I think he'd be, I, I'd be very exciting. And it sounds like he's very interested in doing it, unless he's just, you know, flirting with it to keep his name in the headlines. There is always that possibility. He is a, a master of publicity, much like Trump in, in many ways, actually. But yeah, just like Trump, they'd try and stitch him up with various nonsense. There's not quite as high stakes as Trump because it's Irish politics and, you know, no one cares that much. It doesn't affect the world stage as much. But Irish people care. 
and I care. I want Connor to win. Immediately backing him. Don't know what his policies are. Just immediately backing him because at least he said the right things about this horrendous recent event. Though he did, he did dial them down a bit and then say some more moderate things. I've looked at his tweets and they sort of sometimes they're just pure Connor, a lot of swearing and stuff. Other times they read like someone's written them for him. Right. Then other times they read like a mixture, like those recent ones. So then I think maybe it was him all along because sometimes they they're sort of just quite eloquent, sort of quite intelligent, high level political tweets. I'm thinking, does he have an advisor writing these? But then suddenly there'll be a swear word. Although that would be very smart if you were an advisor to throw in a bit of Connor's voice. They look like they're ghostwritten now. Since he, mm. he since he mouthed off and said all these things and got in trouble, they look to me like like a, a Connor autobiography that he's said it. They put it on a dictaphone and then the guy's gone, well, I'll put it in your voice, but with some better grammar and stuff. But then yeah. again, that, that, that recent one had bad grammar, so I'm not sure. We, we were debating at the Free Speech Union whether to create an AI tool whereby instead of tweeting directly, there's a kind of AI intermediary and it, it turns whatever you're saying into something anodyne and inoffensive that you couldn't possibly be cancelled for. And you could do it as a kind of, you know, we initially thought about doing it seriously and then thought about doing it as a joke. Um, but you could you could kind of adapt it and come up with something which, which doesn't actually turn everything you say into something bland and inoffensive, but just removes various triggers that are likely to get you cancelled. So you express the same sentiment, but just in a safer way. Interesting idea. And then, then if it goes wrong, you can also blame the AI and say, I'm yeah. sorry, the AI run amok, ran amok and got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. I blame Grok. Yeah, or be, be like the equivalent of saying my account must have been hacked. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't always work, that excuse. Yeah, but uh. <laughs> In your experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, that is pretty much our stories uh, for the week, apart from, our, of course, Pete Woke section, which Toby's already semi-ruined. But Toby, do you want to quickly do an advert? Yes. So now I'm going to read out an ad for the Stack Assistant. And um, in order to understand this ad, because I can't claim to understand it myself, uh, you're going to have to email the Stack Assistant for advice at the Stack Assistant at pm.me. So in April 24, the Bitcoin block reward will have its four yearly halving, pushing Bitcoin's emission rate below gold's, previously the world's hardest money. Bitcoin's price depends on supply and demand. And in April, the daily new supply competed for by miners will halve. Off-grid miners can typically save their coins, while on-grid miners must sell most of their coins for power. Hence, Bitcoin, in fact, promotes additional and truly renewable energy use. But after the halving, the least efficient miners stop, so the real supply of the new coins drops to near zero and a shortage soon develops. They cannot start mining and selling again until the price doubles. But by then, Bitcoin is back, baby. FOMO is building and the market price usually shoots way past a mere doubling. This time, ETFs are imminent. Argentina, Taiwan and the UAE are weighing adoption. Bonds are crashing, banks are folding, and inflation rages as governments spend like drunken sailors. TikTok, next block. Time and cheap Bitcoin is running out. For advice, for some kind of key to understanding what this all means, email thestackassistant at pm.me. That's thestackassistant at pm.me. Well done, Toby. I thought you did a great job with that dense information there. At the end, you sounded a bit like Boris Johnson. Which reminded me, I had a dream last night. I was doing a podcast with Jamie from the Irreverent Podcast and Boris Johnson. How weird is that? 
I'm now dreaming in podcasts. But anyway, thank you to the Stack Assistant once again, one of our loyal sponsors. And now for more technical information, it's time to go over to Toby and Will with the top stories of the week. So I'm here with Will Jones, the editor of The Daily Skeptic, uh, to talk about some of our biggest stories of the past week. So, Will, do you want to kick off uh, with this revelation, if we can call it that, from Dr. Jenny Harris, that uh, there is no evidence that face masks do anything to reduce infection uh, from COVID-19? Yeah, incredible admission this, Toby. This is from uh, Dame Jenny Harris, who was at the time of the pandemic, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer. You might remember her from uh, television appearances uh, during the pandemic and is now the head of the UK Health Security Agency, the UKHSA, which is the successor to Public Health England. So a major figure in the in the government response and in public health in this country. And she amazingly has has said something pretty honest. Uh, She said that that there's no solid proof that masks ever slowed the spread of COVID. And she's even said they may have made things uh, worse. She told the UK COVID inquiry uh, that uh, the government advice, this is what she said uh, last week, the government advice on how to make a mask using two pieces of cloth. So this is the the homemade uh, cloth masks was ineffective, she said, a damning damning verdict uh, on that a major part of the government uh, messaging. Um, and she said that studies showed that at least three, presumably two pieces of cloth were needed for even a small effect on the spread of viruses. Uh, I'm not sure which study she's referring to there, but still a stunning admission. Um, and she said that it may have that using masks may have been given given people a false sense of security. Um, uh, which could have caused them to to mix more and uh, and to get infected uh, more. That's her argument. And she wrote in her witness statement uh, that the evidence base for using face masks in the community was and still is to some degree uncertain. Um, so uh, so really really stunning uh, admission, uh, but actually uh, completely in line with what we know uh, from Carl uh, Hennigan, Tom Jefferson, and uh, many uh, studies. B the true true state of the science that there is a very little uh, good quality evidence of any uh, significant effect from wearing face masks on getting infected or transmission of the virus. And indeed, it's actually in line with what uh, Jenny Harris herself uh, was saying earlier on in the pandemic, back when it was it was orthodoxy, uh, back in the spring of 2020, if you remember, for uh, to be against face masks, to say that face masks were ineffective. Uh, that's uh, She was on the news saying many of these similar things. So in a way, uh, there is a little bit of consistency there, but interspersed uh, with this heavy mask propaganda that we uh, all got used to from uh, the summer of 2020 onwards. I think we can we can accurately say about Dame Jenny Harris that she's done a 360. People often use that phrase wrongly to mean someone's done a, a 180, a U-turn. But she, as you said, originally said this back in March 2020. Um then did a U-turn and changed her mind and said face masks were absolutely essential for fighting the virus. And now she's done another U-turn and returned to her original position. So she's done a 360. Absolutely. But good to see some honesty and some some rare admissions of actual truth coming out from the COVID inquiry, which otherwise, as we know, has been something of a whitewash. Yes. So it fits the American um, political commentator Michael Kinsley's famous definition of a gaffe. He said, a gaffe is when a politician tells the truth, some obvious truth he isn't supposed to say. Now, she's not a politician, um, but nonetheless, that that applies here. She's effectively 
blurted out something which is true, but which she wasn't expected to say. And that's also true of the another story you wanted to talk to us about this week, Will, which is um, the uh, president, no less, of COP28, uh, Dr. Sultan Al-Jabba. Um, that may not be how you pronounce it. Um, he, he, he said this week that there was no scientific evidence at all that phasing out fossil fuels is necessary uh, to keep global warming within a 1.5 degree limit. Uh, tell us about that, Will. Yeah, so another one of those, as you say, gaffes, uh, Michael Kinsley's uh, definition, where the politician tells the truth, some obvious truth he isn't supposed to say. Uh, this one is the president of the UAE, United Arab Emirates, currently hosting the uh, the COP28 uh, climate uh, shindig, chinwag, uh, and he has and he's just blurted out to to someone who was interviewing him. Uh, uh, it was actually in response to a question from Mary Robinson, the former Irish president. He's blurted out that there is no sci- This is word for word quote. There is no science out there or no scenario out there that says the phase out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5 degrees C, which, as you say, means the restriction of global warming to uh, 1.5 degrees C above to keeping it below um, the, uh, 1.5 degrees above the pre-industrial uh, levels, an arbitrary limit, um, of course, uh, but nonetheless, he has he's blurted this out. He then does he then does slightly water it down or, or complicates it a little bit by then adding that a phase down and a phase out of fossil fuels is inevitable. It is essential, but we need to be real, serious, and pragmatic about it. So, uh, so it's not so. Uh, if 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 I'm honest, it's not entirely clear exactly what he's saying there, but it's it's definitely a watering a watering down, a saying. Do we really need to phase out fossil fuels? Um, so quickly, uh, we need to be uh, serious, real serious and pragmatic about these very radical uh, net zero aims that governments around the globe are taking extremely dangerously seriously. Yes. Um, he's not technically the president of the UAE. He's he's president of COP28. But interestingly, he does have a role in the UAE government. He is the Minister of Industry and Advanced Technology. Um, though he's somewhat conflicted because he's also head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, uh, as well as chairman of an energy company called Mazdar. But apparently those sorts of conflicts of interest are pretty routine in the United Arab Emirates. Um, but uh, yeah, a pretty extraordinary thing for him to say. And there was quite a funny um, uh, nothing to see here quote provided to the Telegraph who broke this story from a spokesman for COP28 who said, uh, the COP president was unwavering in saying reaching 1.5 degrees centigrade involves action across a number of areas and sectors. The COP president is clear that phasing down and out of fossil fuels is inevitable and that we must keep 1.5 degrees centigrade within reach. We are not sure what this story was supposedly revealing. Nothing in it is new or breaking news. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty poor attempt at damage control there from a spokesman for COP28 who uh, presumably got a rocket from the Sultan. Uh, um, about this story, which is hugely embarrassing. Okay, um, the third story you wanted to talk to us about this week, Will, is quite complicated and requires some explaining, which is this data leak in New Zealand, which purports to show that the COVID-19 vaccines um, are more harmful than the government of New Zealand had previously claimed. That's right. So this is uh, this is the news that there has been a, a massive data leak uh, from a uh, one uh, Barry Young, no relation, I assume, Toby. 
no relation, <laughs> uh, who has uh, so a former a former employee of the Ministry of Health who has leaked to a journalist, sceptical journalist in New Zealand, millions of record level COVID vaccine database records. So they show when someone had their vaccine, uh, which dose it is, and when they died. And uh, it's uh, 4 million records. And this has been analysed. This was sent to Steve Kirsch, the American tech uh, entrepreneur uh, who has uh, analysed it, and him and his team have analysed it and claimed uh, that it shows that the vaccines are very harmful and killing far greater proportion. They estimate about one in a thousand people who have taken uh, the vaccines. So a uh, big story. And that kind of uh, level of vaccine harm is in line with some other uh, data that, that's come out uh, and some other analyses, uh, some of which we have uh, run or reported on on uh, the Daily Skeptic. Uh, so not uh, not hugely surprising, though, of course, extremely shocking. However, the story, as you say, is a little bit, um, there are complexities to the story. The uh, various people, including sceptical analysts, have analysed the data and said it's it's incomplete. Those who have produced the data have said that, that they know that, that it's only those who paid for their vaccines. So it's, it's not it's not all the vaccines, but they, but they defend it and say it is a random sample. So that that explains some of the anomalies in the data. Uh, some people questioned whether the whether it may have been a, the the leak was genuine or whether it was a psyop, maybe it was a setup to catch out uh, skeptics. Uh, but in fact, Barry Young has un, has sadly now been arrested uh, for. Uh, for this breach uh, and is and is, has been arrested in New Zealand. What's more, the New Zealand go- New Zealand government took out an injunction regarding the uh, regarding the data, uh, which resulted in one uh, Steve Kirsch's Wasabi account where he was hosting it being shut down, and then also Kevin McKernan, who is the uh, genomics specialist, who uh, you might remember from the DNA contamination issue. He's one of the lead scientists look, who has blown open the, the vaccine DNA contamination issue. Uh, he mirrored the data to make it more available on his site, on a site called Mega. And last night, overnight, uh, Mega, without telling him, just deleted his his entire account, all his data, one terabyte of data, with all his research, including about the, uh, the vaccine uh, DNA contamination, uh, and also all his unrelated research. Kevin says it's 200,000 US dollars worth of uh, research and many years worth of research. So he is uh, extremely annoyed. And I think everyone is is in shock, really, that uh, private companies, hosting companies who you expect to look after your data um, are able to and would just without even talking to you or notifying you or asking you anything, just apparently at the order of the government, uh, just deprive you of what you think of as your property, uh, an important property at that. So that's all feeling quite totalitarian and uh, and draconian. So, uh, so there's lots of dimensions to this story, and it's still uh, developing. Uh, Steve Kirsch has defended uh, his data. Barry Young uh, is still, I believe, uh, in in custody, um, and there is no resolution yet to the lost data. So, so worrying and in some ways depressing, and and more to come. And some of the data has been deleted, but was it not copied before it was deleted? I mean, have we still got the data? Does it still exist somewhere? So the data that was leaked is certainly still exists. It exists in lots of places. It's the the data that's lost is uh, was Kevin McKernan's research. Whether there's right. a backup of that, he hasn't said. I would have expected it to be backed up somewhere, but uh, yes, they're talking about it as though it was the as though it wasn't, which is somewhat surprising. And if so, uh, very unfortunate. Yes, that seems to be the case. But the, the actual leaked data is definitely still out there, although it may be harder to obtain at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Will, with our top stories of the week. Great. Thanks, Toby. 
All right, that was Will. Now back with Toby, and it's time for everyone's favourite section. It is, of course, Peak Woke. So, I read that quite weirdly, but let's do um, Peak Woke, Toby. You've already done the Isaac Newton one, which was big, which was the Indian actor in Doctor Who playing Isaac Newton. So you've kind of spaffed that one already. But we do have some other ones. I saw one, Prehistoric Women Were Better at Hunting. I didn't even bother clicking on the article because it was so annoying. It was an article in the Daily Bell. I just thought, I'm not even clicking on that. I'm just saying peak woke. No, they weren't. Not even going to click. Don't even need to. <laughs> I can just spot a peak woke miles off, but I'm sure it was a very entertaining article. What have you got, Toby? I've got, well, I, I, as you say, I've, I've used my best one. I think that Doctor Who clearly wins peak woke this week. But um, the Mail had a story a few days ago about how um, a leading period products firm um, has told schoolgirls that men can have periods. So a company called Hey Girls has been slammed for peddling confusing and harmful claims in a booklet for prepubescent schoolgirls who are about to get their periods. Uh, and, and, and the pamphlet says, not all women have periods and some men have periods. And it's better to use the phrase people who have periods when talking about menstruation rather than menstruation rather than the phrase women um so there you are uh, peak woke in primary schools yeah it's really not better to use that is it um okay there's so many i mean i i was going to throw in this one about the sign in tildag avenue in ireland i'm not even sure if it is peak woke it's certainly pretty annoying though they put up a sign saying they'll no longer accept the rehousing of illegal immigrants and this was being called disgraceful and hate speech Sinn Féin MP described the signs as disgraceful and said they were erected in an attempt to create fear and intimidate people. Political and community leaders must stand together to continue building a safe, welcoming and inclusive society for all. Does Ireland have to be inclusive for all? I don't think it does, but hey, that's me. That's kind of Pete Woke, maybe stretching it a bit. And I'm actually just going to throw in another one I just remembered on the fly here, which is that Dr. Scholar won an honorary degree from the University of Newcastle. She said she was honored, humbled and honored to be awarded an honorary Doctor of Civil Law degree for my con- contributions to race equality, combating discrimination, promoting diversity and inclusion at national and international level. It awarded Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. the same degree. So she's up there with Martin Luther King. And I have to say, I went to Newcastle University and uh, I now renounce them if they haven't already renounced me, which they probably have. But Dr. Scholar, one of the most evil people winning an honorary degree for her contributions to race grifting is that peak well it's it's peak something that is extraordinary yes um uh, what about the story did you see this story that um uh, you, you never have guessed this nick but woke books apparently aren't selling very well um so really? um uh, yeah the, the publishing industry has gone all in on um woke books like page boy the memoir by elliot formerly ellen page um a trans actor um, and um, it sold um, 68,000 in hard copies. But um, for a, a house the size of Macmillan, a publishing house the size of Macmillan, uh, those are embarrassing numbers, uh, given that they uh, they paid a three million pound, um, uh, three million dollar advance for it. Um, uh, and they'd have to make they'd have to sell half a million copies to break even. But it isn't just uh, it's. It, all, all various books that they've uh, they've bought um, uh, for entirely woke reasons are tanking. No one's buying them. Um, and if publishers carry on, they're likely to go broke. Who would have thought it? And by the way, the prehistoric women thing came from the University of Notre Dame, 
who did a study saying that not only did prehistoric women engage in the practice of hunting, but their female anatomy and biology would have made them intrinsically better suited for it. Rather than viewing it as a way of erasing or rewriting history, our studies are trying to correct the history that erased women from it. Of course they are. Okay, whatevs. Not even reading it. I'm just saying it's wrong. Um, all right, any more Pete Wokes, Toby? Or is that it, really? I think that's it. That's it for this week. Okay. Well, it's still been a fun episode. It's been different in this new house. A lot of change. I'm still adapting. So people will probably complain and say, oh, it wasn't as good in the new house or something. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like always predict what people are going to say about the show. They probably won't say that, but they'll criticize something or other. Um, some reviews came in. Having a quick look at the reviews. Uh, highlight of my week, someone says, still love you guys. Please arresting Tommy Robinson was just another example of those the establishment have decided are safe to hate, as in Orwell's 15 minutes of hate. Yeah, probably true. Uh, we, we read that one last time. A review here. Yeah, it, was actually, said, oh, this it, was, one. it was two two minutes hate in um, okay. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, good to get the Toby corrections in there. Then you can write <laughs> another review, uh, hitting back at him next week. Someone here, Dre, and, Dre the Shadow, says a review. As usual, sound in the right places. But Nick, stop reading your own Twitter posts out loud. And the sound of you trying to find something you wrote is not prime podcast material. So of course, I did both this week just to uh, double down. I mean, it's a free podcast. You know, we can't be perfect. We're on a low budget. You know, don't listen. Get lost. If you enjoy it, great. If you're paying, maybe I'll start to listen to complaints a bit more. But if you're not... We are, we, on our new podcasting platform, people will have the option of, for £5 a month, getting the premium versions of our podcast, which will have material that isn't otherwise available for free. So those people who are... Um, paying subscribers to the premium content they can complain but yes the new paid subscribers will be able to complain absolutely i still probably won't listen but someone will will employ someone to listen to them but uh yeah on the free podcast it just annoys me i just think i just don't like any criticism do i famously <laughs> all right that's the reviews pretty much covered another good episode in the bag and let's do a few promotions mainly go to well not mainly but amongst other things go to the current thing which is my other podcast we just had a very very interesting episode one of the best we've ever had go and check that out please support me if you're so inclined at buymeacoffee.com slash nick dixon leave a comment i reply to them all and it's just a little digital donation of money uh in the, it's just called a coffee it's not literal coffee guys buymeacoffee.com slash nick dixon and the current thing podcast and mainly of course Come to the Weekly Skeptic Live, eventbrite.com or eventbrite.co.uk. Both work. Search for Weekly Skeptic. And it's on 11th of December, which is a Monday. And it starts at, doors at 6.30, starts at 7. Or for a little bit more money, you can have dinner with me and Toby after. You get a steak, you get a drink, you get to hang out with really cool people, plus me and Toby. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. The Weekly Skeptic Live, December 11th. Be there. Only 23, 25 tickets. Are, 83% of tickets have been sold. That's right. Uh, your reference to buymeacoffee.com reminds me of a story I heard last night. We had the Daily Skeptics Christmas party at uh, Lola's at the Hippodrome last night. So I'll be going to Lola's twice uh, in one month um, because we'll be back there on Monday to record the Weekly Skeptic Live. But someone there told me a story about James Dellingpole. They said that um, a friend of his had invited James hunting, having heard him talk about how much he loves hunting on London Calling, um, and he spent the entire time um, whilst on horseback, supposedly hunting, checking his phone to see who had bought him a coffee. Um, uh, I guess it. I guess it, it happens so frequently for James that he is just constantly checking his phone to see to just watch the money roll in. 
Well, I'll know I've really made it when I'm checking from horseback. I'm not quite <laughs> there yet. I'm just checking it in a normal flat. Although it is a beautiful new flat, but I am just checking it from that. And I'm not as obsessive about it as James. But I will reply to everyone because I think that's, that's, that's important. And thank you for all the nice comments on there as well. They're, they're, they tend to be far nicer than our reviews, which are generally nice, but you get the occasional wrong one in there. But yes, December 11th, we accept it live. I think that is pretty much it, Toby, isn't it? And you're saying we're going to record it. I don't know. We haven't chatted about that. I think there's an outside chance it could just be live event only and you really have to go to hear it. All right. That is pretty much all the promoting. And uh, I think that is it, Toby. So until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. Stay skeptical.